Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I went off to college for the first time, I did not own a computer. Thankfully, my big sister was upgrading hers, and so I bought her old one off of her. And I was excited because it had Windows 98 instead of Windows 95 that we had at home. You see, before this, all my papers for class were written on the family computer, which was set up in the dining room, and we all had to share it. Now, I had one all to myself, but it was full of my sister's files and folders and whatnot. So I took advantage of the capability of the computer to have its operating system reinstalled. In a couple of short hours, I was able to restore this computer back to how it was when it was created first in the factory. I was able to restore it back to the default settings. Have you ever done that? Restored something back to the default settings? Have you ever had a piece of technology that got so buggy and fraught with errors that the only solution was to do a hard reset and start over? It seems nowadays that instead of fixing the technology, it's just easy to replace it and at the same time upgrade it. But there was a time when restoring back to the default setting was the go-to fix. And that was because the default was good. It was stable. It didn't have any weird glitches or errors or viruses. But let's shift now. Instead of thinking about the default of a computer to thinking about the default of God. What is God's default? If you ask that question, chances are you'll get some interesting responses. There are some that think God is mean, that he's vengeful, that he's spiteful, and just an all-around nasty figure. They might think this from stories from the Old Testament. They might think this from their own personal experiences in life. They might think this because some person they knew as Christian hurt them deeply. But that perception of God isn't necessarily fair, is it? It'd be like witnessing a dad disciplining his kid in the grocery store checkout lane, a kid that's misbehaving and throwing a tantrum and thinking that all dads all the time behave like this father, father figure. They don't understand that the father is doing what is necessary in that child's life. All they see is the child flailing about, unhappy and being mistreated. And because of that perspective, they judge the dad and, and maybe all dads as mean, vengeful, spiteful, and just an all-around nasty figure. But is that God's default? To answer that, let's look at what Scripture says, specifically our gospel lesson for today. Here we have Jesus returning from the country of the Gerasenes back to where people knew him. He had a reputation, you see, and he was known for healing people, but he wasn't seen as just some sort of doctor. No, he was seen as a miracle worker. And this is evident in their quest being made of him. Specifically, Jarius, the ruler of the synagogue, wanting Jesus to come bring his daughter back from the point of death. 
And take note here, Jesus simply went with him. And it was on this journey to this man's daughter that we see another thing happen. As Jarius and Jesus and Jesus' disciple make it through the crowd, they are, as the Bible describes here, being thronged about by a great crowd. Picture in your head a big crowd of paparazzi swarming a famous person. And as they make their way through this crowd, they're, they're being pushed in from all sides. And then Jesus perceives in himself that power had gone out of him. Which, if you think about it, it's, it's pretty amazing. And as we had heard read earlier by Dan, I'm sorry, by Pastor Bob, it was the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who was healed. And she was healed simply by touching Jesus' outer garment. Now, I could go into how this woman was considered ceremoniously unclean on account of her bleeding problem or how socially unacceptable it was for her to be in the crowd in the first place, yet alone Jesus' outer garment. But the thing I want you to focus on here is how Jesus, almost by accident, heals this woman. At a minimum, this healing wasn't nearly as performative as, say, healing a man who was blind by spitting in the mud and touching his eyes. This healing just sort of happened in passing. And I find this amazing because it really speaks to the kind of person that Jesus is. His default, his natural way of being is that of someone who can heal, who, who changes lives, who brings people back from the dead, who loves unconditionally. And even when there seems to be no hope left for these people, Jesus simply responds with, do not fear, only believe. And sure, you might be thinking, this is all good for those couple of people in the Bible, right? They had this amazing faith in Jesus and, and probably didn't even deserve to have those bad things happen to them. But what about me, huh? What about my problems? And I'm not here to minimize or diminish what you might be going through, but rather to remind you that our God is a good God and that the love that Jesus poured out on these people in the Bible is the same love that he pours out on you today. You see, the default of God that we see here is that of mercy. Mercy is defined as, as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Another definition says mercy is performed out of, out of a desire to relieve suffering motivated by compassion. That's Jesus. That's how our God responds to our lives of sin. And this has been the default of God from the very beginning. Before the incarnation of Jesus, before Jesus was born that first Christmas, God was already showing mercy. 
We see this in the promises of God right after the fall into sin. We see this in the lives of the followers of God in the Old Testament. In fact, in Psalm 51, it begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see, Psalm 51 is what King David wrote right after Nathan the prophet confronted him about the sinning he had done with Bathsheba. To which David responds, Have mercy, O God. And God did have mercy on David. And God continues to have mercy on his people. And that mercy extends to you to this day, blotting out all your transgressions. Out of God's abundant mercy, our sins are forgiven on account of Jesus' availing sacrifice on the cross. By his blood, we are washed clean. By his mercy, we are made new. And all the evil that we've done, all that we're currently doing, and all that we will do in the future on account of our sinful nature is wiped clean. Sadly, Psalm 51 addresses another default setting, and that describes the default setting of humans. Verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From before we were born, we were sinful, deserving of God's wrath, judgment, and punishment. But God, in his mercy, transferred that wrath and judgment and punishment on to Jesus, who took our place and died, so that we might not die eternally. And so as God's forgiven ones, ones to whom mercy has been shown, how are we to respond What is it that God expects of us? And for this, we get to hear Jesus' own words recorded in Luke chapter 6. As Jesus is delivering the, the Beatitudes, he tells those that are listening in verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. Jesus then gives more detail as to what that looks like. And then he says in verse 36, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. God wants us to show mercy. And this isn't easy. To you parents who deal with strong-willed and divine children, show mercy. To you customers who have been mistreated and wish to speak to the manager, have mercy. To you employees who got yelled at for no reason at work, show mercy. To you brothers or sisters who borrowed money to your siblings to never get it back, show mercy. To you husbands or wives who have your spouse getting under your skin, show mercy. 
And as hard as that is, our default mode needs to be that of mercy, especially in the divided political culture we live in. Matt Popovitz, an LCMS pastor of a church called Our Saviors in New York City, speaks to this, and he reminds us that mercy is not a political position, at least it shouldn't be, especially for the Christian. He says, real Christ-like love will never tell you to, t- to stay put, to hold back, or to maintain the status quo. No, Christ-like love will send you out, crush your comfort, cross the lines, and force you to give up what you desperately want to protect in order to give to someone else what they desperately need. That's what Christ has done for us. And that's what we must always be willing to do for others. Mercy is not political. Not for you, Christian. You don't get that luxury. When we see someone else's need, we do not ask, which side am I on? We ask ourselves, what does love require of me for them? And then we give it. End quote. This is kind of scary, right? This means there's actual work for us to do, which might push us to the edge of our comfort zones. And these are the challenges that we have as Christians. Now, how exactly mercy is shown in our daily lives might look a little different to each of us. But it's the attitude in which we approach the situation that is important. And as ones for whom mercy has been shown, God gives us the opportunity to pass that mercy on to someone else so that by your mercy, they might get a glimpse of Jesus and his mercy. Amen.